Blog Talk Radio. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is the USDA Hour for Whistleblowers, and it's brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, July 29th through 31st this year via online video, Um, thanks to the fake dub virus that everybody's getting hysterical about, but that aside. Uh, Tonight, my co-host is Lawrence Lucas. Say hello, Lawrence. Hello. Glad to be on again tonight. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I think we ought to do a few more of these shows. Um, There's so much going on, but we do have some good news. And um, uh, Lawrence will be talking about that. We're going to have Michael Stovall, Wayman Henson, and a few other people coming on this evening uh, to talk about all the changes that have happened recently and the relief that black farmers and minority farmers may be getting through the stimulus bill. Uh, You know, this has been so far quite a year. I don't see anything getting relieved or any better before the end of the year. And I think much more is going to change and not in a good way. Everybody needs to pay attention to everything that's going on and keep yourself prepared for the worst. And my grandma always said, you know, expect the worst and hope for the best. And that's pretty much the way I do things. Uh, With that said, Lawrence, I'm going to turn this over to you so you can get this conversation going, and I'll chime in where I need to. So go ahead. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to thank you again. Uh, for allowing us to be on tonight. Um, And I want to thank also again Marcel Reed, who's made it very uh, uh, herself available and has worked so hard and diligently at supporting us in so many ways. Uh, Tonight we're going to have uh, three individuals on with us, and one is going to be... um, Wayman Henson, researcher, uh, filmmaker, and he's been on the show before, and he is going to talk about many different things because he has he's multifaceted, and he's been involved with this issue for many, many years, and I'm talking about USDA, the widespread discrimination against black farmers and other minority farmers as well. Uh, he also is a writer, publisher, researcher, So, and I'm glad to have Wayman on tonight. Uh, Wayman, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. Uh, thanks, thanks for being on tonight. Uh, we also have, hopefully, we'll have Michael Stovall. Um, he should have called in by now. He's, uh, he's on, Lawrence. He's on, okay. Michael is on, yes. Uh, Michael Stovall, farmer. Uh, Michael, welcome tonight. Thank you for being on the show and uh, uh, always being responsive. Michael Stovall has been in the struggle for black farmers. and In fact, he's been in the struggle for some of the kinds of things we wanted, which is systematic um, uh, changes at U.S. Department of Agriculture, not only for farmers, but also for employees. And I must thank him for uh, being there. He developed and started the Independent Black Farmer Group, which was out there demonstrating when everybody else had gone home so many years. Uh, He's demonstrated all throughout the South and in Washington, D.C. We also hope to have um, Bryce Stuckey, a researcher who's done a lot of work, writer, uh, publisher, and he has been looking and delving into this issue of racism and disparity 
as it relates to black farmers. And he has focused on the U.S. <laughs> Department of Agriculture being one of the major reasons why black farmers, if not partly 90% of the reason why black farmers have failed for decades in this country trying to farm, trying to make a way of life, trying to prepare themselves and their sons and daughters for a better future. And that future for many farmers have been robbed. And many of the farmers that we have talked about, and all three of these individuals have been on the show before, some of those farmers have passed. We've had a number of things happening in Washington this week, and I think um, I want to make sure that uh, um, Bryce Stuckey, are you there? Okay, he may come in a little later. Are you there, Bryce? I'm here, yeah. Okay, okay good. yeah, Thanks. you didn't flag, so I, I was uh, just okay. guessing that was your number, Bryce. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, good. Okay, and, good. Bryce, I'm, I'm very pleased that you are able to join us tonight. And we're going to be talking about discrimination at USDA. Um, there's been two bills. One, the Warnock bill, which deals with trying to fix the discrimination at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And this bill has passed because of Reverend Senator Warnock, Raphael Warnock from Georgia. And the other bill, and this bill has been passed recently, and they had a hearing about this bill today before the House Ag Committee for Congressman Davis, Scott. And we have been wanting to find out how this is going to be carried out. We got an idea today as to what some of the facets and what can possibly happen and how USDA is being prepared for that. We also have another bill, which is called the Justice for Black Farmer Bill. And I want to say that uh, our Vice President, Lisa Domley, and our President, Uh, Ron Cotton, has been always supportive of the efforts that we have been trying to make and bring change. I am Lawrence Lucas, President Emeritus of the USDA Coalition of Minority Employees, but our organization can only be of value and be as effective as we are because of the commitment of uh, those two individuals who have been in this struggle for many, many years or decades now. And and I'm hoping that this evening we're going to touch on some things as it relates to those two bills. We should touch on some things as it relates to how it's going to be implemented, talk about accountability, talk about how for some of the people on this show uh, who are listening, rather, Uh, don't know how we got here and don't know what roles that you all have played in bringing about in some way, each one of you, either because of your stories, because of your research, uh, your documentaries, or your activism. uh, You've all played a major role. So I'm going to open the show up with, um, I think I would like to start with... um, Michael Stovall, who is a farmer. And, and Michael, you've been on the show before, and thanks a lot for being on again tonight. Um, you as a farmer, tell us where do you think we are. Or you can also tell you where have we been very quickly. And tell us where you think we are with this new legislation. And I also want to make a point that these two pieces of legislation – would not be in existence today if it were not for the struggle and people playing a role, such as people like Michael Stovall and others. And we have people writing stories. So happened they're writing stories about USDA in the case of uh, uh, Bryce Stuckey and Nate Rosenberg. And you have people like who we have on the phone tonight, uh, doing documentaries as well 
as doing many other things that have helped the work that I have done personally and have helped what many farmers uh, have depended on, having people like Wayman Henson in the trenches, caring about other people, just like uh, Michael Stovall has so many uh, so many years and now decades. So, um, Michael, um, I'm going to let you start off as to um, what got us here real quickly, but what is happening now in Washington, and what are your expectations? And, and we're going to begin at that point and, and kind of open up the – you're going to open up the show. Good evening, everybody. Can you hear me? Very clearly. I thank God for everybody that's on this call, and I thank God for y'all being in the trenches and y'all played a big part in what's happening today. And um, and we're so blessed to have people like y'all that's been in the trenches with us and so many farmers that passed away that's land back and rejoicing in the kingdom of God today and rejoicing that we finally at a point that will make a difference, a turn the corner for many farmers of color and many employees at the USDA and the systemic racism that's been going on for decades. I just thank God for that. Um, I see it's a new beginning and I also see is um, farmers being able to get land and being able to reestablish themselves. But we also have to, you know, get these farmers back in action because so many people have been treated so wrongly, they don't even know where to begin. We need, we need um, plants where we can process uh, vegetables and fruits and things like that, and we need facilities, we need slaughterhouses, we need stockyards, there's so many things that's needed to reestablish the beginning of Black Farmer again because a lot of times they don't want you in their market, so they figure out a way to push you out. So we need to formulate our own market to be able to sell our products, uh, and that's the only way we're going to be sustainable because we've been ran out, and when you go to stockyards, you still have that same problem. But we have to get beyond that. We don't have to take the legislation and work forward, you know, to a new beginning to show the people that passed over that we can still farm. We can still make a difference and be a part of this industry. So um, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm so proud uh, that I finally can see some, some headlights. So I thank God for that. So, um uh, before you go any further, uh, just make a short comment. What do you think uh, this new legislation that uh, has passed the Congress and the other legislation by Senator Booker, how do you think that, just real quickly, what do you think and what do you think is going to happen with that and what's your opinion of that? Well, the, the debt write-off, you know, if you got over a million dollars of debt, they're going to break your taxes down to three or four different tax bills that they're going to, you know, if you had so much taxes, they're going to break it down maybe three times or four times and pay it into your debt that's owed to the IRS. But you'll be able to reclaim that debt at the end of the year and do a write-off. So if you got, say, for instance, you got a million dollars worth of debt, they paid your taxes, they they put a portion of taxes you can depreciate for as a tractor, a conviner, a hay bale or a hay cutter, or either certain things on the farm that you need to depreciate to get that money back. So all that money is put in pots for you to really be able to depreciate. Like in my situation, I can depreciate the chicken houses. It was $300,000 of chicken house, but they, they had depreciated now. So I can write that off and rekindle the, the tax money that was paid to the IRS on my behalf. So that bill is good. And we also need to look at um, the, the complaints, the outstanding complaints that's in the backlog. They can start trying to formulate a bill or figure out a way to get the statutes um, 
back in place so those farmers can get some justice because most of those farmers are old now, and they can't even begin to farm without having money. You know, I don't care how much land you got. The land is no good if you can't farm it. You can't clean it up. You can't put it back in, in, in the farming industry. So all that needs to play a part. So we really need to get the whole systemic problem done, case settled, and also be able to train young farmers how to appreciate the land and love the land like the old farmers did and start a new beginning, a new beginner farmer and building generational wealth. So, oh, thank you very that's much. That's what it's going to take. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I was planning on having Wayman go second, but um, Bryce, you've uh, done a lot of research into the history of how USDA uh, functions, um, and you've done a lot of research in terms of the facts that show that racism has been the major part in denying black farmers uh, the benefits, uh, the programs, and resources that other white farmers. Um, Based on your research, and I'm going to have you chime in later on, based on your research, what what do you think has has been one of the major uh, pieces, or and I'm not talking about one, or what do you think is the area that you found in your research that has had a serious impact on the lives of black farmers based on the research that you and Nate Rosenberg have spent many years doing? Um, so if I had to, do you want me to kind of uh, pick one factor I think was most important or that I want to talk about? No, I want you to pick out what factors you want to share with our listening audience. Oh, okay. Well, um, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I, I have spent a lot of time reading um, about the history of black farmers um you know, since uh, after the Civil War through the present. And, I mean, I think if you spend a lot of time reading about that, um, it's just they've always faced intense discrimination. Um, And uh, it seems like that's never really changed. And, I mean, the period that Nate and I deal with most is since the New Deal. And, you know, that was a time when the federal government started to play a larger role in financing uh, farmers. And farmers became more reliant on government programs. And, you know, the way the New Deal got uh, done with that Democrats if they wanted to get Southern Democrats, you know, who were very conservative and racist, um, if they wanted to get them on board, um, they had to make sure that the programs wouldn't challenge segregation in the South. And that was kind of how USDA was set up. So even though it was a massive uh, department, it was the, 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 the offices were at you know, many of the offices were at the county level or regional level, and they were controlled by um, southern, you know, planters, white southern planters, and they didn't want to see black people owning their own land, and they deliberately set out to take the land. And, you know, that system has kind of remained in place, and... I, um, you know, I, 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 I've been so used in my lifetime to the Democrats not helping, um, you know, people who, who need it, unfortunately. Um, and I was really surprised to see them pass this. And I think it's a really good sign, the debt relief. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful about it. We, we have an article coming out uh, with Catherine Joyce and Mother Jones in the next few weeks about 
the Civil Rights Office at USDA, which is a very corrupt office that doesn't um, investigate claims and it finds any reason in the world to deny a discrimination complaint. And it's kind of always functioned that way since it got going in the 60s. And I think, you know, this debt relief is really encouraging. And I think we we all know that uh, people are really going to have to watch USDA and keep the pressure on them to make sure that the debt relief gets passed out like it should. And, you know, I'm sure it's, again, unfortunately inevitable that, that farmers are going to run into trouble with debt relief, some farmers at least. And if they do file a discrimination complaint, you know it's important that the Office of Civil Rights uh, investigate it and treat the case fairly. So I think there are people in Congress who care about this. Um, I hope the new administration um, doesn't repeat what they did last time and that they enforce civil rights law because I think that's going to be a very important um you know, factor going forward is how Washington responds to discrimination out in these offices. But I think I think this is a really good sign, and I'm trying to remain hopeful. <laughs> so I guess that's kind of my answer. I have one question before we go, and maybe two, depending on your response. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that this has been going on in terms of taking the land from farmers? and others, and the systemic problem at the U.S. Department of Agriculture as it relates to all of its civil rights processes and administration. And the other, are you saying that um, that you have questioned about whether or not um, this the new administration can carry out and do what they should be doing based on your research because of the past? Yes. Um, Yeah, to your first question, I think this this civil rights office, there have been, um, you know, I think there's always been people in the office who tried to do the right thing, and there have been some leaders of the office uh, who were also trying to do the right thing. Um, but I, I, you know, it's, for the most part, uh, that office has never, has never really investigated people's complaints. Um, going, you know, going back to the sixties, it's, it's kind of been the same, you know, with, with some brief exceptions. Um, so yes, I think, I think, you know, my opinion is since the, New Deal when the government took a bigger role. Um, the the discrimination was so widespread, and you know most of this is happening in the South. Um, it's important for people to to know that that you know the discrim- discrimination in the field offices has been incredibly widespread, and Washington, that which is supposed to provide uh, accountability and enforcement, has basically never done that. And then to your Second question, yeah, I think um, having spent a lot of time uh, learning about USDA, I don't, you know, I would think, I think anybody who who really studied USDA, including the recent history, would have to be skeptical about them administering this program. I mean, I think that it, like I say, I'm optimistic that they will um, do what they're supposed to, and I think that the, I think the journalists um, have taken more interest in discrimination against black farmers, and I hope that they can provide um, accountability, you know, if there are abuses in the program. Um, but I, I do hope that, you know, the people in Congress who, who care about this understand that if there, if there are discrimination complaints related to this program, that they're going to be going to the same office that's been broken since its inception and that they need to make sure that that office um, does what it's supposed to. And I think, 
you know, Nate and Nate and I have talked to a lot of employees in the office, um, and I think a lot of the employees do a good job, um, but a lot of the people at the top don't care. You know, they 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 don't want to settle cases for the claimant. Um, so I think I think people who who want to see this program work that is an important piece and. You know, I, you know, I think I think Cory Booker's staff is aware of this, but I think um, I think they need to continue to pay attention. You know, because just the history of USDA, we've seen that they they say they're going to change, they say they're going to do something, and then they don't do it. So, but okay. I, am, I am hopeful. Okay. Well, thank you yeah. very much. Uh, I think you you just lent. Uh, uh, the kind of clarity, especially for those who are listening. Uh, Wayman, uh, you're still there. I want to thank you for coming yeah. coming on. You're welcome. And I'm going to kind of let you, after you've heard uh, the conversations uh, of our two guests, I'm going to try to, I'm going to let you decide where you want to start, where you think is important to share uh, what your thoughts uh, based on what you've heard tonight, based on what you've seen um, over the past six months at USDA, and what you've seen in terms of your research. So I'm going to let you kind of fit your conversation in with uh, whatever area you feel comfortable starting with. And so you go ahead you got the mic. What was several different things um, are just kind of flying around my head. I've been jotting notes while you and uh, Michael and uh, Bryce have been talking. So let, let me let me see if I can can weave a web uh, that'll make a little bit of sense. What, one thing that I want to do is to give a shout out to Michael Stovall because whenever you hear Michael Stovall speak. Uh, he's going to tell you the truth, uh, and he's not going to have enough time to give you the complete depth and breadth of the utterly despicable way in which uh, USDA FSA uh, treated him. Uh, I, I've never said this before, but I feel a little bit freer to say it now. Uh, Michael was um, one of the black farmers that we that Sean and I interviewed for the documentary. And so we uh, went onto his land, uh, interviewed him there for several hours. Um, in the film, you'll see his land. There's a, uh, there's a, a flyover of aerial photos of him walking. I think that really wraps up and capsulizes the documentary and what we're trying to say in it about this is how people treated people. Uh, the the other thing that I'd want to say, and I could say a whole lot about that, but 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 we'll we'll stop there. Another shout out that I like to give is to a gentleman who was working in the Smithsonian when uh, I first met him back several years ago. He's written what I think is the best book about these things. So if anybody wants to do a deep dive into this stuff, besides reading Stuckey and Rosenberg and Henson and Hill and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, Pete Daniel wrote a book called Just Possession, Discrimination Against African-American Farmers in the Age of Civil Rights. And what he does is he nuances very, very carefully with very carefully uh, scripted notes of various offices, uh, field offices around the country, where on the one hand, Martin Luther King and uh, Reverend Jackson and others are um, – Fighting, are, are leading the civil rights movement that led up to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But at the very same time, that was going on, and uh, young people are, are registering uh, African Americans to vote in the offices of what was called FMSA at the time. They were setting out their webs in such a way that was going to entrap black farmers that was going to catapult uh, 
farmers into this never never land of land loss and identity and indebtedness and on us on the one hand we have the fight for civil rights going on uh, in Washington and Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson and and all of those folks Joan uh, uh, Trump our Mulholland and uh, uh, John Lewis and so on and so forth and then on the other hand you have the very opposite of that thing going on at the county level because it's like one farmer's wife said in the film that uh, black people were always intended to work the land but never to own the land. And so you see that phenomenon occurring in nearly every one of the stories that black farmers had land, owned it, uh, they were farming it with uh, farm loan, operation loans, and that sort of thing, uh, because in order to farm, you've got to have loans. And then when too little, too late comes in or disasters happen that can't pay off the loan, then the indebtedness continues to roll, and it continues to grow. In the case of one farmer family, uh, a $14,000 indebtedness that should have been uh, forgiven it was actually settled three times, and they re- the, the feds reneged on it three times. That $14,000 turned into several hundred thousand dollars of, of interest. Um, and so whenever those kinds of things were going on, there was frequently a collusion between the local FSA office and the people leading that office, the people at the bank, who held the note that USDA had guaranteed. And oftentimes the tractor uh, establishment, the implement business where the farmer would have to go to buy his tractor or to go and buy a part, that sort of thing. And so oftentimes that collusion of FSA, the bank, and the implement company, they knew that the land was about to be foreclosed upon and the farmer had an inkling that something was happening but didn't know that it was happening. In one particular story, the local FSA um, supervisor started a pattern of coming out frequently to look at the farmer's land and the farmer's implements, and he had never done that before. And then he began to smell a rat, and so uh, what happened was that that farmer was encouraged, and his partner were encouraged to buy another tractor, and with another tractor, they would need to lease and farm another X number hundred uh, hundreds of acres, and with that, they would get the loan to buy the tractor and so on and so forth. But what happened a year later? Three tractors and a stripper were sold at something like ten cents on the dollar, and the farmer believes that that FSA offer was basically supervisor was really coming out, checking up on the status of the equipment so he would know when to sell it, four-down steps and that sort of thing. And so what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting is that policy at the federal level, at the USDA office level, it's there and it's in print and it's in writing and it's supposed to be equitable for all farmers, black, white, Hispanic, Asian women. But the USDA has historically devolved its responsibility down to each level below it. So that means that at the county level, the county supervisor and the county committee, they can act with impunity toward black farmers so that the black farmers will eventually have their land sold and the white guy will buy it who happens to be a family a member or a friend of the local county supervisor or members on the county committee. Uh, they knew it was coming. And so when one of the problems with the system at USDA, when the system devolves its responsibility down the food chain, Nobody is ever responsible. I I do not know, and maybe Bryce can correct me here, uh, I do not know of any supervisor 
or any FSA uh, official who's ever harmed black farmers, that if they lost their land, that that person ever was fired. I know in one situation uh, in Louisiana, the, uh, the parish supervisor was moved to another parish when it got really hot and he lied on the witness stand, so on and so forth. He was moved to another parish and then eventually he was promoted over the, the state USDA office. So what I'm saying is that there are problems within the system that must be corrected and we can look at the uh, the Justice for Black Farmers Act for how it's going to fix uh, via law the system. But we also know that Vilsack could institute some of those changes right now if he wanted to. What we're also saying is that laws and rules and procedures that are allegedly are colorblind, anybody should be treated the same way. When it gets down to the county level, and people are making decisions. They make decisions based upon somebody's skin color. And so that, that's the way we, we vote our prejudices, I believe. So if I'm a white farmer out here in rural America, uh, I'm going to vote for people who look like me on the county committee. If I'm a black person, I may or black farmer, I may or may not vote, but there are not going to be very many of us. So we aren't going to get people who look like us on the county committee. The only way people who look uh, black who are on the county committee are when they have been appointed by Bill Sack to those county committees. And what happens there is that there really is kind of a voice, no vote. And so Bill Sack may be really pleased with him, pleased with himself for making that change within the structure of the county office. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't do any good because that uh, well, person is in a voice no vote predicament. Well, well, t- well tell me this um, um, real quickly. Uh, what facts do you have that will give us a reason, farmers and employees and the American people, to be optimistic about change at USDA very quickly? Uh, the, the short verse, and, and I apologize for, uh, for for going on and on. Uh, I happen to be born with a lot of words, and, and they, they keep tumbling out. Um, I'm optimistic, and I resonate with what Bryce said a moment ago. I'm optimistic, though cautiously optimistic, at this particular point in time, because what we have is um, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 that has within it section uh, 1005 and 1006 that have $4 billion for debt relief and taxes, and then a note pot in 1006, $1 billion for ancillary sorts of things, including what Bill says would be outreach. So I'm optimistic because there are laws that have been signed into play. The other, the other things that I'm optimistic about, Lawrence, to answer your question, is that because of your advocacy efforts, because you have led the coalition, and as a representative of the Justice for Black Farmers Group, you have led the band, and we have written letters, and we've talked to senators' offices, and we've advocated under your leadership. And I believe what a staffer said a while back to be true that Bill Sack knows that we are watching him, that we are going to hold him accountable. And like Bryce said, I don't remember at any period of time since I've been involved in the movement since 1994 that so many investigative reporters are going out and interviewing farmers and advocates and researchers, and nobody has ever done the expose work that uh, that has been done by Rosenberg and Stuckey. So I'm optimistic because the truth is laid out there in front of us. And I think the truth says that more and more people are going to hold Vilsack accountable. And some of those people are Warren and Booker and Warnock and okay. advocates like you. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bryce, um, you're looking from the outside in most of the time, both both uh, Michael and also um, Wayman. They're close to this situation. What is it that you see? Or, and I, this is the same question I just asked. Uh, what facts do you have or what data uh, or what are, have you heard or hearing that would make uh, us feel optimistic that things are going to change at USDA under the Vilsap, the new Vilsap administration? Um, well, so I, I think um, I, I think the 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 things I find most encouraging are like uh, Wayman said, like the the um, activism, you know, the sustained advocacy, like the successes that um, you know your group, Lawrence, and other groups have had in. Um, getting your message out into the media and also finding people in Congress who, um, you know, will listen and then um, relay your message. And, you know, I found um, Elizabeth Warren's response to the, the critical letter that your group sent very encouraging. That was one of the earliest signs Um you know, the Justice for Black Farmers Act was very encouraging, and then this relief in the 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 Recovery Act is very encouraging. So I, I think that kind of, um, I don't know, nexus of activism, press interest, and political interest are what's most encouraging. Um, and... I mean, my, my opinion about kind of what went wrong um, under when, when Vilsack served under Barack Obama in the Civil Rights Office is that there was a conflict uh, between, uh, you know, I think there was a conflict between Lloyd Wright, who's the former director of civil rights at USDA and who came back under the Obama administration, there was a conflict between him and Joe Leonard. And I think Tom Vilsack didn't want to get involved. And, you know, essentially Lloyd Wright ended up being pushed out. And that was really not good uh, for employees or for people with discrimination complaints because under um, Vilsack's first tenure, the office just didn't take complaints seriously. So I think, you know, this time uh, that dynamic could could very much come back. Um, I, I think there's career people in the civil rights office who've shown that uh, they don't have an interest in enforcing civil rights law and they will target people who do. And what I'm hopeful about this time is that because there is a little more scrutiny on Vilsack that he will take a more active role and he won't uh, ignore or side with the people who um, are refusing to address discrimination. I mean, I, I don't have a real great reason to think that um, Tom Vilsack will, you know, automatically make the right decision because he hasn't shown that that's his instinct in the past but I'm hoping that this combination of pressure from activists, journalists, and Congress will cause him or, you know, his leadership in the Civil Rights Office to listen to the staff members who do want to do the right thing, which, like I say, there are a lot of them. Um, I mean, what I would like to see, what I think, what I think needs to happen in the Civil Rights Office is there's a few people who need to be removed and... I think the people who've demonstrated that they do want to investigate claims should be promoted. And I don't really think that's very complicated. And that, that, you know, like Wayman said, that's, that's one of the things that Tom Vilsack could do uh, tomorrow. <laughs> so I, I hope that, 
I, I don't know how to make that message break through. Um, but, you know, I, I think to myself, well, then again, I didn't expect this much debt relief to get into the Recovery Act. And because the Justice for Black Farmers Act has, um, you know, it has sections that would uh, attempt to address discrimination in the Civil Rights Office and problems in the Civil Rights Office, that this will be one of the next things that gets enacted. So I have to remain, <laughs> I, I have to remain optimistic that that will happen because I think it would just be such a tragedy if this moment passed and, you know, the civil rights office was not reformed at USDA and it's completely doable. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, uh, While I was listening, I was thinking about some of the things that need to happen at USDA, both for employees as well as for farmers. And one of the things I think about are the the amount of cases that are in backlog. Uh, the other part of that is the amount of employee cases that have not been resolved. Um, it, it, where does if 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 this if that is in fact going to happen and attention is going to be paid to the backlog as well as to uh, these cases that have not been processed. Um, does implementation, transparency, and accountability, does that play a role in this, both for farmers and employees? Uh, you, uh, Michael, you've been around the employee issue as well as the farm issue. Can you kind of give me some clarity on that, what you think from a farmer's standpoint and, and a uh, well, leader? Well, just like uh, Stuckey was talking about, um, if the USDA Office of Civil Rights is not reformed and OGC held accountable as well, these cases going to sit out there for decades and decades again, and it's going to create the same problem that uh, we, we're working on today because Congress can pass legislation, and if legislation is not enforced, and if the Office of Civil Rights are not uh, fixed, and the Justice Department don't hold the USDA accountable, we're going to be looking at this same situation 30 years down the road. So one thing has to change. They have to reform the Office of Civil Rights. They have to reform the, the local, county, and state office and hold these people accountable for continue to discriminate against employees and farmers. And until we have some accountability, no matter how much legislation they put in place, it's not going to work. No matter how much debts they write off, it's not going to work. You can write a farmer's debt off and not give him damages for his losses, but he still can't farm. So what do you have to do? Go back in the USDA and apply for loans again and get caught back up in the same old racist system that he was in, in before? I have 29 years of discrimination on the hands of the USDA and the finding of discrimination in the breach of settlement agreement. So I know exactly what they could do, and they continue to do. But I'm hoping and praying that these two bills would make a difference so we can start setting up beginner farmers and start bringing people back to the land. But if we don't, if they don't clean up the office, the Civil Rights Office, the USDA local and state county office, we're going to have the same problem all over again. It's not going to stop. Well, thank you. Uh, Wayman, uh Somewhat the same question to you. What do you think um, with regards to um, close, these cases that are lingering, the backlog that exists both for employees and farmers? And USDA has a, a reputation for when they want to uh, make their numbers attractive to people looking at them, they start um, – they throw out. I've known them to throw out cases. I've known them to change decisions uh, on findings of discrimination. I've. I know that they have let a statute of limitation run on on farmers. Uh, I know that they have uh, uh, used used the office of general counsel 
as a tool to um, control the, um, the the process of complaints as well as the resolving of complaints. So, um, Wayman, what do, what do you think in all this confusion? Uh, how USDA is going to fare in the next uh, in the next year or two? While we will be looking over their shoulder. What do you think? Well, I think two things. Uh, one is that the best way to tell about what the future is going to hold is to look at the past. And when we look at Bill Sachs' um, uh, first eight years in office, uh, we know what a disaster that was for civil rights. And then when we look at the history of the Office of Civil Rights, when um, Sean and I were interviewing farmers who settled with the USDA between 97 and 99, uh, which was pre-Pigford. One thing that uh, I asked that I observed one night here on this program, you may remember it, uh, I thought I knew the answer, but Lloyd was on the, on the call with us, and I knew he would answer. But what I observed was that if you settled, if a black farmer settled early on in the process in 97, they got a better set of numbers in terms of compensatory damages and that relief. But those farmers who settled later in the process, in 99, for instance, got a lower number of dollars of compensatory damages that relief, priority of services, and that sort of thing. And when I observed that process and wondered out loud with the, viewing, with the listening audience as to why was that the case, Lloyd chimed in and said, I can tell you the answer to that. And the answer to that was the Office of General Counsel. And one of Lloyd's frustrations that he told us in several different occasions was that OGC is a bunch of lawyers. And the lawyers are there to protect their client, which is the USDA federal government, whereas the Office of Civil Rights is concerned about justice and making things right for farmers. There was a fight within USDA around that. And so many farmers got the short end of the stick because OGC came in. So on the one hand, I'm pessimistic because it has always been that way. But on the other hand, I'm optimistic. If we can just get the Justice for Black Farmers Act through Congress, because there's a particular section, Lawrence, that we actually help write. It says uh, the Office of General Counsel of the Department of Agriculture shall not have any involvement with the investigation, adjudication, or resolution of any civil rights complaint brought against the secretary. So I'm more optimistic about getting the Office of General Counsel, the lawyers, out of civil rights business if that is in law. Although at the same time, Vilsack could do that right now. Because when I was reading a history of the USDA of civil rights here a while back, there have been windows of time when the secretary put OGC over uh, on the curb and let OCR do its thing. But then there are other times when that firewall was taken down and the OGC was back in, in the middle of it. And much like Bryce said, um, uh, general counsel would be responsible for nipping in the buds and in investigation, saying don't investigate any further, cutting compensatory damages, all sorts of things that OGC should be doing. So okay. to answer your question, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, more so because things are now in law and more will be in law when we get the Justice for Black Farmers Act. Okay. Uh, okay. Um Thank you. Um, we're getting down to about six minutes, and there's a question I would like to, uh, Bryce, if there's anything you want to close with. But before closing, um, we think in terms of the possibility of another disaster under the Vilsap leadership uh, how, or a disaster of civil rights in the past under his leadership. How can there be a disaster when Tom Vilsap, and you only have a couple minutes, um, when Vilsap's claims that uh, his administration is the best administration uh, and oversight, especially in the area of civil rights in the history, um, 
uh, can you respond to that in about one or two minutes, please, and whatever you want to close with? Uh, this is for me, Lawrence. Yes, Bryce. Um, yes, I, I mean he's. I mean he said that before, and it it wasn't true. So I I don't think he has any credibility uh, when he claims things like this. So, and honestly, I mean I I didn't listen to his I didn't listen to him today at the hearing, but. I don't. I still don't really think he gets it. Um, so I, I don't think he has a lot of credibility, and we have to watch what they do rather than what they say because they they fooled uh, the press last time. And you know, I just hope that they don't do that. I hope they don't get away with that again. So we have to keep the pressure on them. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, Michael, do, do you have anything you want to – we have about five minutes left. And is there anything burning that we may I may have missed in my questions that you think you want to no, add? Give me another – give me a minute. Just, just like everybody say, you got to hold their feet to the fire because we know the, the history of the USDA, and, and it's a long history. And if we don't hold their feet to the fire, this administration be gone and we'd be dealing with it for the next 20 more years so we need the time is right and Bill Sapp is up against the wall and he needs to be kept up against the wall to hold him accountable to making sure that the office civil rights are functioning and they got cases now they could be settling and they need to be made sure that they're doing that now while they're waiting on this new bill to come about because it was one thing that's troubling for the farmers and the employees as well, if we don't get this Justice for Black Farmers bill passed and implemented and the oversight to make sure it's happening, it needs to be an oversight over the Civil Rights Office to make sure that they are doing the right thing and resolving and settling these cases where these farmers and employees can continue to live their lives. So many people have suffered and continue to suffer uh, under the hands of the USDA, and if we don't implement and force the implementation of the bills that's already there and the laws is already there, we're going to be looking at this 20 years later. So, okay, uh, thank you very much, um, um, Marty. Do you have any questions? Uh, we have about a, uh, three more minutes left. Um, my my question yeah. is, Lawrence is. We've, we've seen other bills passed, and, of course, then they get passed, yes, and then they have to go to the committee to authorize funding where it seems they die a slow death. Or they pass funding, but it, the funding isn't enforced, which I suspect what I've looked into on the Pigford settlement is exactly what happened uh, in many cases. The funding was approved. It was just never enforced. So there's so many tricks they can play that the the public isn't normally aware of. They think one thing has happened when, in fact, another thing has happened. Um, they talk about the bill passed, but they don't tell you once it was passed, we did everything we could to keep it from being implemented. They don't tell you that. And so you think this bill's been passed like people did in Pigford. They thought, and everybody got made whole. No, they didn't. I have argued with people relentlessly over the last couple of weeks about this. No, they were not made whole. Some people made out quite well. Other people, not so good. And it depended on the color of your skin. You're absolutely right when you said that. Um, so this is, this is what we're up against here. We're going to have to watch this closely and follow it all the way to the end and see that those payments from that stimulus plan do go out to the farmers as the bill says it should, because that's going to tell the story. Um, how long this is going to take, I don't know. But if it starts stalling out, look at that funding. Did it get to funding? And if it did, and it got passed on from there, authorized for payment, why hasn't the payment been made? And I say it's a good selling point to the public the way it's sitting right now, but the devil is in the details. Yes. And that's all. Uh, I want to thank everybody for coming on tonight. This yes. has been been quite informative. Well, great, uh, Marty. Thank. I want to also thank our guests tonight, the three of them for coming on and uh, allowing us to 
uh, get into their evening hours. And I thank you uh, for allowing us to um, have a voice uh, for what we consider justice. And I, we call it justice and the truth tellers. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. I want to thank everybody for being our guest. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. We had a full audience again tonight. And a reminder again, these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit taking your this place 29. There we go. Uh, taking place this year, July 29th through 31st, and it will be on video because of the fake virus. So look for that. We'll keep you posted on that. And Lawrence, have you got anything else you want to say before we close down? Uh, the only thing I can I want like to say that uh, um, Wayman and I put together a, a letter to Secretary of Vilsap on about the sixth of March, and, uh, requesting a meeting with him directly, uh, so that we can sit down directly with him, so he can give us direction because we're talking about systemic problems. We're just not mm-hmm. just talking about money. So we're talking about the, the fixes that are going to be in place to make right. sure that uh, that uh, civil rights change. So we're looking for it, and we'll, at our next uh, time on, we should have a response to that letter. I hope you do, Lawrence. We'll look forward to that. Again, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back the next, last Thursday of next month again, unless something major happens, and then we'll boot somebody and put you back on, Lawrence. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for being our guest. Everyone, have a good evening and good night. Good night.